rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over the Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. This is Superman, Superman in the, the Bronze Age. Age. of Superman in the Bronze Age. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and once again, we are returning to the Bronze Age, that bygone era of disco and bell-bottoms, to take a look at some of Superman's shenanigans. But first, feedback. And this feedback comes to us thanks to Russell Bragg, who you may have heard on this show once or twice before. Well, his emails anyway. And he writes, Hi, Charlie. Hope all is well. Well, thanks, Russell. It not bad. Uh, anyway, he writes, Boy, I had a little trouble wrapping my head around 328. I was understanding your synopsis, but it sounds more visual than most of the comics we go through. I'll probably do better when I get the comic and listen again, which I still plan to do eventually. But I put all of the Superman in the Bronze Age episodes on my iPod, since I wasn't sure how long they would stay on iTunes when the show was completed. Speaking of iTunes, I finally got everything working in terms of my new show, the DC Comics Presents show. People can find it on iTunes and Stitcher. By the time this episode comes out, my first official show should be out. I am nervous about how it will do. Personally, I know I don't compare it to Charlie Niemeyer or Michael Bailey, but hopefully I will get better as I crank out shows. Only time will tell. Two things before I go. I was curious and found out that the Mr. and Mrs. Superman section of Superman comics will only last one more issue before moving on to Superman Family, Superman 329, which is the issue you'll be talking about today. You talked a little about Airwave last time. The original Golden Age Airwave was Larry Jordan, who was Hal Green Lantern Jordan's uncle, which makes Hal the cousin to the new Airwave who appears in Action Comics. Better go for now. P.S. I always enjoy your hostess ad interpretations. If I get confident enough, I hope to act out the hostess strips as well when I, when they come up for me. Well, thank you, Russell. Uh, first of all, I want to say that um, no one really compares to Michael Bailey as far... I mean, look at his consistency and his production. And by consistency, I mean the quality of his shows. Uh, and the number of shows he's on in a given month. And... Um, yeah, I I wouldn't put me in that class, but thank you. Uh, as I record this section of the episode, Russell has just finished recording episode one and is in the editing phase now. So 
I'm getting pretty excited about it myself. And that's his DC Comics Presents show. Look for it on your favorite podcatcher. But that's it for the opening part of the show. So here's a couple promos. And when I come back, Superman number 329. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Hello, podcast listener. My name is Russell Bragg, and I host a podcast called the DC Comics Presents Show. Every episode, I talk about the DC Comics Presents comic, starring Superman. I will be detailing all 97 issues, plus the four annuals. I will be spotlighting the DC character that Superman teams up with, plus I will be looking at the comic spinner rack to see what other comic books were on sale. So join me, Russell Bragg, for each exciting episode of the DC Comics Presents Show. Please go to the show's website at www.dccpshow.com for more information. That's DCCPSHOW. Hey, a bunch of damn dirty apes. It's me, Maury Clawhammer. Don't you recognize me? Of course you don't. I've gone back to my simian roots. Maury Clawhammer is going ape. That's right. Coming soon at 2TrueFreaks.com, it's Planet of the Apes Month. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm peeling a banana with my feet while watching all five of them monkey movies. Now I'm reading a chimpanzee comic while swinging on my swinging tire swing. Woohoo! Then it's toy time. When some kid throws me a vintage Mego Dr. Zayas action figure. And I'm gonna put it where the sun don't shine, in front of a whole third grade class. And nobody's gonna bat an eye. Then I'm gonna pull it out, and I'm gonna fling it at him. It's a whole month of monkey madness, coming soon at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Check it out, I'm devolving by the second. Or is it the other way around? We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Superman number 329 had a cover date of November 1978 and an on-sale date of August 8, 1978, with a cover price of 50 cents. The title of the issue is I Have Met the Enemy and It Is Me. Written by Marty Pasco, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Sciaramonte, lettered by Gene Simic, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Julie Schwartz. We start off the issue with four pages of recap to bring new readers up to speed with some of the events of the last issue. Because, you know, every issue is someone's first. This is not the last of the recap from last issue. Then the creature, who we'll go ahead and call the Kryptonoid, threatens to take over Earth before threatening to destroy Superman, thinking that our Man of Steel is Jor-El. The creature is about to make contact with Superman's face to begin the fusion when suddenly another voice comes from the creature, stating that this is Kal-El, not Jor-El. It's the voice of General Durant, who we met last issue. Well, who we saw more of last issue. We technically met him way back. Anyway. And it turns out that the creature is now of two minds about what to do to Superman. So while the creature argues with itself, 
Superman scans the traffic light pole with his microscopic vision and sees that the pole is also covered in commensals, explaining how it became bendy and strong enough to hold the Kryptonian. Somehow, Superman figures out that for some reason the commensals cannot penetrate his costume and must make contact with his skin in order to fuse with him, which actually I guess that does make sense since the light pole is touching him and but only the costume portion of him, which is why it hasn't been able to make contact with him yet. Hmm. Wish I'd realized that before I started recording. Anyway, with that little tidbit noted and saved for later, Superman uses his super breath to literally blow the creature away, cooling it off in the process. Because as we learned last issue, it does not do well with cold. While it is down, Superman then uses super suction to pull apart a nearby fire hydrant, which shoots up water at the light pole that is cool enough to weaken the commensals so that Superman can get away. Then, he uses his super breath to freeze the water to the pole, making the commensals dormant. But by this point, the creature has recovered enough to hit Superman in the chest hard enough to almost knock him out. Then, it reshapes itself into almost a stingray shape to try and smother Superman so it can make contact with his skin, but Superman again uses his super breath to keep the creature at bay. But a quick glance over at the WGBS building with his x-ray vision reminds him that Clark needs to show up before Lana notices that he's no longer in the phone booth. So he goes on the offensive, and when he catches up to the creature, that is... So, he goes on the offensive, and when he catches up to the creature, there is an, a deafening boarum. Boarum. And then Superman's empty costume floats back to the ground at the feet of Lois and Jimmy. Very similar to, well, when his cape flutters down in, during Superman 4. Anyway, inside the WGBS building, Lana, who witnessed the explosion at the phone booth last issue, thinks that Clark is dead, until he pops up from below the phone booth, wearing nothing but his glasses. Literally, nothing but his glasses. After he asks Lana to get him something to cover up due to the curious crowd beginning to gather, Clark reveals via flashback that he had covered the creature with his costume, hit it with a super punch, then grabbed Clark's glasses out of the cape pouch and flew it in super, at invisible super speed back to the WGBS building and landed in the phone booth hard enough to create the hole that Clark climbed up from, smudging himself with soot in the process to complete the effect. With the flashback ended, he then moves at invisible super speed again, grabbing his costume, making it seem to just disappear in front of Lois and Jimmy's eyes. Returning to the phone booth, he keeps the costume hidden somewhere. He's naked, you know. Until Lana brings him an overcoat, which probably won't be missed by the wardrobe department in the middle of August. Then he runs off to get a suit from wardrobe, but instead of going to wardrobe, he flies off as Superman toward a chemical factory across town. Soon, Superman arrives on Booney Island, which is, of course, where the lighthouse is, carrying a large vat of something that is supposed to put the kryptonoid out of action. Somehow, both Superman and the vat are overlooked by the kryptonoid as it flies in and enters the lighthouse, planning to kill General Derwent's assistant since he knows the kryptonoid's secrets. Although, I don't know if he would have been able to figure it out all on his own, but you never know. But before he can do that, Superman busts in through a window and then uses the shattered glass to create a jointed glass armor around himself to protect him from the kryptonoid's touch, despite the fact that the window was not large enough for there to be enough glass to completely cover Superman's body. 
At this point, General Derwent takes over and explains to Superman the events that led to him hating Superman so much, which is what, where we get another flashback. And while he tells this story via flashback, he's also using his commensal vision power on some machinery behind the Man of Steel. We also learn at this point how he got the Superman robot and reprogrammed it, and how the creature took over the robot, and how he joined up with the creature bot to become the Kryptonoid. By this point, the machinery behind Superman springs to life and smashes the armor around Superman. Going on defense, Superman flies out of the lighthouse with the Kryptonoid following close behind. While dodging attacks, Superman explains that it was actually one of his robots that was standing in for him at the shooting range, and a robot that, like the others, had been acting erratically due to Earth's polluted environment. This particular robot went missing in action shortly before Superman continued the rest of his robots, and is the very same robot that had washed up on the shores of Mooney Island, which means that Derwent has permanently joined himself with the very object of his hatred. While he copes with this, Superman uses his super breath to send the kryptonite flying into the giant vat, which is filled with liquid helium at a temperature of 300 degrees below zero. Which, if, if you're curious, you know, puts him out of action. Because they consider that to be cold. With the kryptonite out of commission, Superman takes both it and the traffic light to the fortress and places both in refrigeration. Then returns to Metropolis, where Lana questions him about where he's been, and how he plans to explain the fact that both he and Superman were missing their clothes at the exact same time, much to the chagrin of Clark, Lois, and Jimmy. Alright, a story with a lot of flashing back, and it still ran out of room at the end, but I'll get to that in just a minute. First off, let's look at the notes. I don't really have too many specific notes until we get to page 10. Where Clark gives his cover story, it doesn't really work for me. I mean, basically he's saying that the explosion burned off his clothes, but didn't hurt him at all. Plus, Clark with no clothes should be looking pretty buff here, like, you know, Superman buff. But no one seems to notice, since even in the Bronze Age, and even, I guess, the Silver Age too... The point of wearing the suit all the time was to kind of hide his muscles. So I'm surprised a different excuse couldn't have been used, but while I wouldn't be able to come, can't come up with one off the top of my head, uh, you know, the writer, Pasco, uh, either should have figured out a different way to set the scene up so that it could be an easier way for Clark to have escaped, or, you know, come up with something better. Because... He'd have to be kind of invulnerable, and literally, he's looking very muscular here. On page 11, uh, we've got a naked Superman in a code-approved comic from 1978, drawn by Kurt Swan. I never thought I'd say any of those things in one sentence together. Who would have thunk it? And page 17. The ending of this issue is very ironic, considering the main plot of next issue, which I'll get into next episode. But overall, uh, once again, Pasco uses, is able to use some past continuity as a plot point, which would be the Superman robots. We saw them get taken down, or not taken down, but we saw them be dealt with uh, in World's Finest number 202 from May 1971. Unfortunately, he could have used either a few more pages, or maybe some less flashback to last issue, or maybe some better pacing, because the ending seems very rushed. Literally, 
there's only two panels plus a caption panel between the uh, the the feet of the cryptonoid. Also, the visual cue that was used. If you recall, at the end of last issue, there was some note about there being a visual cue that would kind of help make it obvious as to what was going on or something. Well, I don't know if it was the visual cue, but a visual cue involving the Superman robot. It. I, I looked back at the last issue again, and it's there pretty much throughout the whole issue. Every time you see the Superman robot, he's got this dented belt buckle, which somehow uh, was dented uh, thanks to being shot by a, a bullet. Uh, and it's and that is a clearly visible dent that's seen in both this issue and the previous issue. However, and, and this is kind of part of the mystery, I guess, uh, in the image that shows when Superman was being target practice for the big howitzer, uh, due to the lines of the explosion and the angle Superman's standing at, it's not clear to see the how the belt buckle looks to see if it's the Superman's regular rounded belt buckle or the robot's dented one. It's very clear to see it when you look at it in this issue because they show it at a different angle. But previous issue, it was hard to tell. Uh, let's see. Um, as for the art, it was good. And, you know, I mean, everything looks nice. Superman looks like Superman. The cryptonoid looks like the cryptonoid from last issue. Everyone's on model. But for some reason, other than the couple of times Superman actually gets hit, his expression really doesn't change. He just kind of stands there staring kind of stoically, I guess, but just kind of like he doesn't care or he's bored. It's, it's weird. Plus, okay, let me make something clear here. I'm a huge Kurt Swan fan. Well, I'm not that huge, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of Kurt Swan's art. I think it's beautiful. I think it's awesome. I think it's great. But, as a lot of people have pointed out, especially when we were getting towards the end of his Superman career, uh, his his action scenes left a little to be desired. It wasn't dyna really dynamic. As dynamic as a lot of the more modern stuff coming out at the time, anyway. I really think this issue could have been helped if... Maybe he got Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, or Rich Buckler, or George Perez, that would have been cool, or, although I don't think he was at DC quite yet, um, or, you know, any number of other artists to come in and work on, on and do this issue, because this issue is a lot of action, a lot of action scenes. And while his art looks great for things like Clark being stuck in the floor, or... You know, Superman's, well, not even that is, not even that page was, I mean, it just didn't look, it needed a little bit more. Uh, there's the uh, panel of him standing there taking the bullet, the, well, not Superman, so the Superman robot taking the weaponry from the, from the howitzer. And it just, it just looks really su super simple. I mean, okay, the kind of thing I'm talking about, there's an image from a Superman annual from... The Silver Age, where Superman's busting a chain across his chest. That looks pretty cool. There's also the image of Superman breaking chains on on Superman number 233, drawn by Neil Adams. Also really cool. 
if you compare the two, you can see a drastic difference. There's just a lot more things going on. The chains are a little more dynamic and a little crazier motif. There's more chain. Uh, but in Kurt Swans, he's standing there, and hes you can tell he's puffed his chest, and the chain chinks, breaks right across his chest. It's one chain. It just hasn't fallen yet. It, 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 it shows you how strong Superman is, but it's kind it's not, I don't want to say it's boring, but it kind of is in comparison. And that's what we've got here. We've, there's a lot of action scenes. Swan does an admirable job, but, you know, when Superman is trying to take on a creature, and basic in the and all you see is one punch it's not even a good punch it's i just really wish we could have had someone with a little more dynamic action artwork with it and i hate to say that cuz i really do like kurt swan's art i don't want anyone to think i don't i really do i've gushed about it on almost every episode of this show but here it just would have this is just an issue that would have been really good to have someone i guess more modern even for the time a little more modern welcome to earth 2 a world amazingly similar to the earth we're all familiar with yet with surprising differences for example clark kent works for the daily star as the slowest lane but at home it's a different story for Clark and Lois, are Mr. and Mrs. Superman. The title of the backup story was The Secret of the Talking Car, written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Schaffenberger, inked by Frank G. Okoya, lettered by Todd Klein, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Newlyweds Clark and Lois Kent have just bought a brand new car, a bright red sedan. And as they drive home from somewhere, I'm guessing either work or the dealership, uh, Clark is a little more focused on it, while Lois is a bit in a frisky mood, cuddling up, snuggling up, pulling on his tie, talking about how much it, how awesome it is that he's Superman, that kind of thing. Uh, after Clark apologizes for not being as affectionate as she is, Lo Lois decides to notice that there is a new car smell, which has her focused more on the car now, while he decides, you know, he's he's feeling kind of frisky. And it, it's at this point that we no longer see what's going on in the car, Although Lois tries to tell him to stop doing something because they're in a public parking lot. So keep that in mind as we continue through this story. And the fact that this story is paired with, uh, the, that was paired with a feature story in which Superman was naked. And this is just a weird issue. Anyway. Uh, that night, Clark is once again enamored by the car. Which Lois thinks is funny because she's seen Batmobile and Rockets and jets and all kinds of alien stuff and a regular earth sedan has got superman's attention well clark's he's not really superman here but um once again clark apologizes and when he and lois turn out the lights it appears that they're gonna make a little whoopee however the next morning after lois has brought clark's breakfast in bed she notices that the car that the car is gone 
The worst part of that, though, not just that the car has been stolen, but her tape recorder is still in the car. And it is possible that it may have recorded talking about Clark being Superman while she was cuddling up to him the previous day. So he puts on his Superman costume and goes out in search of the car. And while he's able to uncover 10 stolen cars, none of them are actually his. But that afternoon, in Gotham City, the Kent sedan is spotted as the getaway car in a robbery. But when the robbers enter the car, Superman's behind the wheel, having locked the getaway driver in the trunk. After dropping them off with the police, we learn that Superman had used his super sniffer to track down the unique combination of new car smell and Lois's new perfume. As for the tape recorder, the thieves did listen to it, but just took it as a wife talking up her husband. Plus, they ended up recording over it with their reactions to it anyway, so it really made it a moot point. And that's how the story ends. Now, I, I guess I kind of skipped over that part. Um, Lo they did introduce Lois's new perfume early on in the story, so you had your two smells set right there at the beginning to help you figure it out on your own. Just thought I'd point that out. I I have it in my notes. I just forgot to actually say it. Uh, anyway, once again, uh, like Tex Blaisdell before him, Frank Giacquay's inks look much better over Kurt Schaffenberger than over Kurt Swan. In fact, they look really good over Kurt Schaffenberger's. I'm not saying they make it look modern. But on this story, uh, Kurt's classic style didn't hamper it any. Uh, it's not a super action-y filled story, which helps. The story itself was rather simple, and while it did read, and it, and it read longer than just the eight pages it was given, with it, but in a good way. I wasn't trogging or trudging through it. It was just like, it seemed to be a little longer. I was kind of shocked that it was only eight pages, and I was actually pleased when it ended, but in a way that I was satisfied with the story, not thank goodness this is over. Also, it's the kind of story that and I don't know how well it, it straddles this line. It's a story that definitely would not have been out of place in the 50s and 60s, but doesn't have anything really super kooky like they would have done back in the 50s and 60s. No unneeded use of superpowers, like just instead of blowing out a fire, squeezing a rock so the water comes out, that kind of thing, you know? Things that are kind of pointless other than they need a super feat on this page. So, yeah, it, it, it's actually just a really cool story. I highly recommend it. So what I'm going to do now is uh, we'll do go through a couple of promos, and when I come back, ads. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The Schuster Herald Podcast, It's Superman, The Carousel Podcast, The Armature Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. 
the world's best podcast, and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics, because as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of and more. SupermanHomePage.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Alright, looking at the ads in this issue, just the superhero-related ones. We don't care about the inside cover Lego ad. There is one, though. Uh, the, oh, here we go. The, ne- uh, the next ad page is there's, it's two half-page ads. The top half is heart-stopping action from the DC Superhero Superstars. Both on sale this month is DC Comics Presents number three, featuring Superman and Adam Strange, and Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. I don't know the number. I can't read it off of this because the area around the number is colored purple, so it blends in with the black. But uh, it looks like the Legion, Superboy and the Legion are going up against Mordru, Master of Earth. Meanwhile, uh, the bottom half is a story about the fact that Superman number one is being reprinted in tabloid size in one of those famous first editions. You can reserve your copy at your local newsstand or order it by mail for just $2.50. Next ad is a Converse cleats ad, thanks to Tony Dorsett of the Dallas Cowboys, which I don't want to talk about because I am a Redskin fan and it's in my genes to not like the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, next, Next up, we got some Slim Jim and Grit ads. You know, Grit has a website now. Someone that I work with uh, used to sell grit when he was a kid back in the 70s. And it turns out that uh, he had to look up something and found out that grit has a website. Next up, we have a full-page house ad and the new gods. And let's see. Zatanna joins the Justice League. Or does she? Discover her startling secret in Justice League of America number 161 on sale December 5th. And the... Adventure Comics issue is on sale November or September 15th. It's got a really nice cover featuring Wonder Woman carrying an injured Steve Trevor, but we're, again, we're going to get to that when I get to the elsewhere stuff. We got a Hodgepodge ad, the the Milk the Milk Duds Clark Bars ad. Uh, next page we have an in memoriam to Mart Weisinger, 
who unfortunately passed away on May 7th, 1978. So that would have been a couple months before this issue came out. And by a couple, I mean three. Uh, and I don't know who wrote this, but it's a short little... I don't know. I don't know if I want to say short. My guess is uh, E. Nelson Bridwell probably wrote this, but it's a two-column. Basically, it's a uh, just a review of Mort Weisinger's career at DC Comics. Uh, the next page has half an ad grabbing, so either the DC Correct Currents newsletter or any of their DC Comics, uh, or probably both. And the bottom half is a hodgepodge page. Uh, next one is another hodgepodge ad. Next page, full page ad for house ad stuff. Uh, the top half is for the Jonah Hex Spectacular with a beautiful cover by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, uh, that features Jonah Hex, Scalp Hunter, and Batlash all on the all on the cover. And the ad says, Jonah Hex, a 66-year-old gunfighter? Batlash, caught in Chinatown intrigue? Scalp Hunter, a slave to the Kiowa Indians, three action-packed Western thrillers in the 1978 Jonah Hex Spectacular on sale August 15th. Now, this is cool, but I th this doesn't seem quite fair to me. Now, the Superman Spectacular had one big Superman story. The Batman Spectacular had like three or four Batman stories. I haven't read any of the other Spectaculars yet. I know there was a Flash one, because we talked about that at episode or two ago. But the Jonah Hex one, he's the he's only in one of the stories. That's kind of not fair. You'd think they'd call it the Western Spectacular or something like that, but I guess Jonah Hex was popular enough that they figured if they used his name, then it actually makes sense. It's, it's like when DC put out uh, Superman's 1976 celebration in which Superman doesn't appear anywhere except on the cover and a couple of puzzle pages. It just doesn't seem fair. And and I'm not a huge fan of Jonah Hex, but I know people that are, Scott Gardner, and I just think that he would have been upset, Scott Gardner, if he had read this, Scott Gardner, and saw that, um, you know, Jonah only got, like, one story. It's kind of not fair. Scott Gardner. Uh, then the backup, or not the backup, then the bottom half is for the Amazing amazing World of DC Comics number 17, which is a special Shazam! Shazam! issue. Um, Superman versus Shazam, the classic courtroom battle. A look at Spy Smasher, Bullet Man, Ibis, or Ibis, sorry, Ibis and Minuteman. Interviews with E. Nelson Bridwell and Kurt Schaffenberger, and more. And it's got an interesting looking cover drawn by I Don't Know Who, uh, featuring. Mary Marvel sitting on the lap of the old wizard Shazam, while Captain Marvel Jr. stands next to him with his hand on the wizard's hand, and Captain Marvel on the other side of him kind of standing there with a hand on the wizard's shoulder, and a really cheesy, kind of evilish-looking smile. This is actually kind of a, a spooky-looking artwork here that Especially considering all the other stuff that I mentioned happens in this issue. It's really weird. Oh, and Mary Marvel's also kind of tugging on his beard. Okay, I'm just going to move on. There's too much happening in there. Uh, and that's it for the Superman-related ads, or the comic book-related ads. Another one's for the, buying, you know, the Green Soldiers. Another one is for some more model kits of a space shuttle, uh, 
F-15 Eagle and a, a van or a pickup truck. And the back issue is the AAU Shoes ad, which is comic bookish, but um, it's not very good. Actually, it kind of looks like Kurt Swan art in some spots. The, the problem with it is that the villain, known as the Dirty Sneaker, looks a lot like John Lennon. And I don't just mean because of his sunglasses. I mean, he's got long brown hair, a long brown beard, uh, but his nose looks very John Lennon-ish. It's kind of... I don't know what they're trying to say there. Anyway, that's it for the comic book. Let's look at what else was going on at DC Comics at the time. First up, Batman number 305. Batman took a death gamble of the Dark Knight detective going up against the Death's Head gang. And the backup feature is the conclusion to the first part from last issue of an unsolved case of the Batman where he's got to figure out who is Mrs. Batman. Or maybe it's the first part. Anyway, uh, it involves who is Mrs. Batman. A woman dies. Turns out she's supposed to be Mrs. Batman. Obviously, Batman has never been married. Uh, so At least not in actual continuity on Earth-1, so he doesn't know who she is. He has to try to figure out both the identity of the killer and the identity of the victim, and the killer discovers his, uh, figures out his secret identity. It's drawn by Don Newton, so it looks really pretty, though. Uh, DC Comics Presents is the riddle of Little Lost Earth, featuring da David Mc uh, Dave Michelini in his first Superman work. He would later take over Action Comics after Roger Stern leaves, starting with, I believe, issue 702, uh, which is right after Metropolis is dest uh, basically destroyed, but before Zero Hour. And this story features artwork by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, and Superman teams up with Adam Strange when a Zeta Beam actually uh, puts Earth in the in Ron orbit and Ron in Earth orbit, isn't that weird? But leaves the heroes where I think I believe where they are. It's very very crazy. Uh, Flash number two sixty seven. Uh, Flash is still going up against Heat Wave in this issue, and the backup feature presents the never before revealed origin of Flash's uniform. Uh, the Justice League of America has the Crisis from Tomorrow, where the heroes, or this, where the Justice League and the Justice Society are going up, are still going up against the heroes from yesteryear, including Jonah Hex, Enemy Ace, Viking Prince, Black Pirate, and Miss Liberty. Batman and Green Arrow team up in Bat Brave and the Bold number 144 with a beautiful, well, it looks pretty, but it's kind of a crazy looking cover by Jim Aparo. Um, and the human target is in the backup feature, which we kind of knew because we saw an ad for it a few issues ago. Adventure Comics number 460, which we saw an ad for this very issue. Uh, the Flash has a nightmare to remember. Dead Man's the Canvas Inferno. The New Gods pursue to have a pursuit to infinity, or I'm sorry, pursuit to eternity. Eternity. Aquaman has joins in the hunt. Green Lantern has the Deadly Song of the Wizard. Wonder Woman has the quest for the stolen soul. And it's a Ross Andrew Dick Giordano cover. And like I said, it's Wonder Woman. Looks like she's standing surrounded by fire, holding what appears to be an unconscious, possibly dead body of Steve Trevor. And the soul she's trying to save is, of course, Steve Trevor's. Uh, Detective Comics number 480 uh, features a really cool-looking Jim Aparo cover where Superman... Or Superman. 
Or Batman has to go up against basically the perfect killing machine, which is a guy who doesn't really feel anything, thanks to Dr. Moon, who is the villain. And it has a backup feature. Oh, and that's also Don Newton art. I believe starting with this issue, Denny O'Neill and Don Newton take over the writing and art chores for Detective for a few issues. And the backup feature is Hawkman in the case of the off-key crimes. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, that was number 245, uh, features the Superboy and the Legion going up against Mordru, Master of Earth. And uh, the only ones we see on the cover are Superboy, Karate Kid, Lightning Lad, and Saturn Girl in that funky, let's not wear hardly any clothing costume. And they're all covered by green energy. I wonder if it's kryptonite, because it generally is, but you never know. By the way, we are definitely in the Paul Levitt's run of Legion at this point. Uh, Superman Family, number 192, 68 pages all new, no ads, nonstop super action. The cover shows that uh, Jimmy Olsen and Speedy need Superman's help, but well, apparently Superman flies off for something else across the images of other stories. But uh, Jimmy Olsen and Speedy are going up against a bunch of other Jimmy Olsen clones looking for whatever happened to the Guardian. Uh, the rest of the issue, uh, stories in this issue, Superman, uh, Superboy deals with this town for plunder. Supergirl's story, What Goes Up Can't Come Down. Crypto Requiem in the Rain. Superman, My Father's Superman. Lois Lane, The Hand of Death. And Nightwing and Flamebird, The Ordeal of Akvar. It's actually a pretty cool looking cover by Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano who do a lot of the who actually did the cover for the issue of Superman we're talking about, we talked about today, and uh, started doing, uh, this must be around the time that they start their stint as the main cover artist, at least for the super books, but also getting to a lot of the other books, other superhero books as well. Superman in Action Comics, Krypton dies again. Meanwhile, the Atom is in the backup feature, where there's a will, there's a fray. Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 110. Apparently Green, Air, Green Lantern gets a brand new power. And, and it looks like Green Lantern's been branded on his chest with the Green Lantern symbol. Which is interesting. And of course the Golden Age Green Lantern faces the doom of Dragonfire. And Wonder Woman on a beautiful cover by Rich Buckler and Dick Giordano. Features the Sinister Seeker of Secrets while the Amazons deal with patterns in the dust. And this is a beautiful cover. I want to say it's probably wraparound, but I don't know because I don't have access to the back part of the cover. But Hawkgirl stops by. Uh, but we see Wonder Woman. Looks like she's flying, even though she can't at this point. So she must be leaping. But she looks beautiful. Hawk Girl looks beautiful. There's a sniper behind them with some futuristic looking gun, which looks like beautiful art, and he's on a looks like he's on a window cleaner thing, scaffolding. And it it's weird, it almost looks like there might be Superman in the background or maybe Supergirl. There's definitely it looks like an S shield. But it's hard to tell. I'll have to look that issue up one of these days. Well, I tried Googling it and it doesn't show I can't find anything with the back cover, so who knows? Well, anyone that owns the issue does. But anyway, that's it for this month. Now, 
you'll notice I didn't mention as many comics this time. There aren't as many comics this time. Like I mentioned last episode, uh, there's only uh, 21, no, 23 comics this month. No. Yeah, there's only 21 comics this month, down a bunch from the previous month. And this is part of the beginning of the DC implosion. Next month, the cover prices drop as some of the backup features leave. Which is unfortunate, because I would have liked to have seen what they could have done if they kept going. But on the plus side, a lot of the new series that have been started up become backup features in other books, so that's kind of cool. So, next time on an all-new episode of Superman and the Bronze Age, we find out who the Master Mesmerizer of Metropolis is. Now, if you would like a transcript of this episode, just listen to it again and write everything down that was said. In the meantime, my name is Charlie Niemeyer, and I will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. Show notes can be found at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. Also, we have a Facebook fan page where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Feel free to like us there. Want to comment on the episode you just heard? Email the show at superbronze1970 at gmail.com. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you again for listening, and God bless. our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones, on demand, and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.